We're going to jump right into things today, and the good news is you're going to get out a little early, so you're going to beat even more Baptists to lunch today than you normally do. Uh, Listen to these amazing words from Jesus, who said, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So here we have a passage, and it says that, of course, that some people are swine. Some people, unlike you and I, with our spiritual sensitivity, are evil. They can't really appreciate what is sacred and holy. It's kind of like they have a spiritual disability. You and I, on the other hand, we have pearls. Pearls of wisdom, pearls of truth, pearls of advice. Pearls that really could straighten people out if they would only listen and receive them. We're talking about like people of other religions, other faiths, secularists, you know, humanists, people like that. So really what we're saying is you really shouldn't waste your time on such people. They're not worthy. Or maybe not. (laughs) I actually took those words straight from a sermon about this passage from the Sermon on the Mount. Straight from a sermon that was preached about this passage. Now here's the question. Doesn't that seem a little un-Jesus-y to you? <laughs> I don't know if that's a word or not. This business about pearls and pigs may be one of Jesus' most intriguing sayings. And it's one people really have wrestled with um, for many, many years. What should they do with this passage? A group of little children was asked to interpret, What does this mean? Don't cast your pearls before swine. And Jacob, age six, spoke up and said, I would never give my sister my toys. My toys are my pearls, and my sister is the swine. (laughs) I was going through a door one time with an older guy, a quick-witted friend of mine, and uh, he was older than I was, and I mentioned to him, I said, uh, uh, you can go first, you know, age before beauty. So he walked on through, and he turned around, and he said, yeah, I'm pearls before swine. (laughs) Now, here's the problem with this. Some people or unworthy swine, and you should not help them, that kind of mentality. According to the Bible, quite consistently it teaches that the people who are in the wicked, sinful, fallen, broken, all like sheep have gone astray, messed up category is who? Everybody. (laughs) Starting with you and me. And if Jesus is this great treasure, if he is the pearl of heaven then of course he never should have been cast down to be a part of us because we're kind of in the messed up category. Yet Jesus consistently said that that's precisely why he came for people in that messed up category. He said it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus did not teach that we shouldn't do good things for people who might reject or misuse us. In fact, he taught the opposite. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. So let's be clear here. Jesus is not saying here that certain classes of people are to be viewed as swine or dogs that are unworthy of our great pearls. No one that I know of has ever taught or modeled the dignity and worth of a human being and the universal command to love all people better than Jesus. 
So here's the problem. The problem with giving a pearl to a pig is not that the pig isn't worthy. The problem is the pearl is not a helpful thing to give to a pig. I don't know many pigs, but the ones I do do not wear pearls. Maybe a few do, but Jesus is actually getting to a much deeper problem in relationships. And he's offering some wisdom that very interestingly could save friendships, marriages, relationships, especially with your kids. Sometimes the pearl you have, the pearl that you think is so wonderful, that you want to give so badly, is not wanted by someone else. And listen, it will not be helpful to them. And in that case, you should not try to force it on somebody. See, here is the deal. A pearl does not nourish a pig. And let's be honest, nourishment is what pigs are all about. What will help a pig is food. If you put a bunch of slop in a trough, which I did when I was a kid, I went with my grandfather to feed pigs just about every other day. Let me tell you what you'll have. You'll have a happy, healthy pig. You ever heard of the saying, a pig in slop? That's where it comes from. If you keep putting pearls, however, in the trough, you will not have a happy pig. You know what you'll have? A resentful pig. You might think, hey, you ungrateful pig, I keep putting pearls in your trough. Look at all these pretty pearls you've been given. Here's what a pig will do in that situation. A pig, according to Jesus, will turn around and bite you. Why? Because they're hungry and at least you're edible. Now this is something important for us to understand. When you study the Bible, you always should study kind of a larger context of a passage too. And looking at Matthew chapter 7 during this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is giving, Jesus is particularly talking in this chapter about wrong ways of relating to people to which religious people are particularly prone. For example, a few weeks ago we talked about do not judge. He says don't be in the condemnation engineering business. And then he goes on to say don't point out the speck in your brother or sister's eye when there is this huge plank in your own eye. He warns against criticizing and blaming. And now he says do not throw your pearls to pigs. Again, he's still talking about ways that religious people relate to other people. You know, sometimes we hand out stuff that people can take home with them at Oasis just to kind of remember and focus and kind of reflect on the message. And some of you may be wondering today if you're going to get a pearl as you leave. You're not. We are giving all the kids in Upstreet potbelly pigs. You're welcome, Mom and Dad. But here's the point. No, we're not doing that, just in case you're wondering. Here's the point. Jesus is forbidding the practice of what is called pearl pushing. This is when you try to push your pearls of wisdom, your will, your way, your superior knowledge onto another person even when they don't want it and especially when it will not be helpful. Now people read through the Bible and they see certain words and certain phrases that are used. And sometimes people read and they say, well, doesn't pearl in the Bible, isn't that always something of great value to Jesus? I mean, when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he says, there's this pearl of great price. Well, you should know that Jesus, like any great teacher, and he certainly was the greatest teacher that I know of, he often would use images and he would use them in very flexible ways. 
Like one time he describes the kingdom of heaven being like yeast. And he kind of compares it to this amazing growth. But other times he says, beware the yeast of the scribes or the Pharisees. And there the yeast is kind of a negative thing. So what Jesus is doing here is he's kind of teaching with humor. And he's kind of putting pigs and pearls in like air quotes. And what he's saying is pearl pushers drift into the habit of criticizing more than they do encouraging. It's like Paul said in the New Testament, let us therefore stop turning critical eyes on one another. He's describing a pearl pusher. Pearl pushers take it upon themselves to correct everybody else because what they notice, what they see, is where everybody else is wrong. We drive cars, right? Some of us drive faster than others. But there really are only two kinds of drivers in the world. Think about it. There are maniacs who drive faster than we do, and there are idiots who drive slower than we do. Right? Look at that maniac going so fast. Or look at this idiot who will not get out of my way. Here's the thing. If you look for flaws, you will find flaws. If you search for fault, congratulations, you will be successful. But you will also go through life wondering, why don't people want to ever be around me? Pearl pushing may be one of the loneliest ways to live. The pig generally notices this, friends. Pigs have pretty sensitive radar. So here's the teaching. If your pig is not ready for the pearl, don't push the pearl. Part of love is, listen, not just knowing what to say, it's knowing when to say it and also when not to say it. For example, in the book of Proverbs, there's a proverb that says, Anyone who loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Does anyone know why? Because the pig wants to sleep, right? Listen, the pearl might be great wisdom. The pearl could even be the gospel of Jesus itself. I think about a woman that I've known, and she really loved Jesus. That's a great thing. She also wanted her husband to love Jesus. That's a good thing. And she had this spiritual pearl that she wanted to give him so much, but she kept trying to force the pearl on the pig. She would tell him, read the spiritual book. Listen to this podcast. Consider these five proofs that God really does exist. She would constantly remind him, I'm praying for you. Sometimes she would even sit at the dinner table in front of him while his food was getting cold, praying for him. Have another pearl, have another pearl, have another pearl. He was choking on pearls. When it comes to telling people about your faith, friends, one of the most important things I could say to you about this is you need to follow the law of supply and demand. In other words, monitor what the level of demand for spiritual conversation is coming from the other person. Are they asking about God? Are they talking about spiritual things? Are they wanting to know what your story is? And you just kind of adjust your level of supply, how long you will talk about spiritual stuff, to commiserate with the level of demand, and that is what they're asking for. Here's a clue. If they're not looking at you anymore, if they're not nodding their head, if they're not asking any more questions, if they're not making any listening sounds, if they're actually leaning back with their mouth wide open, stop talking. Stop talking. 
Stop pushing the pearl <laughs> and start watching the pig. Listen, this happens in marriages. It happens in the workplace. It happens with friends. It happens in churches. But I'm going to tell you where I think the number one place it happens. Now, this is just my opinion. Pearl pushing is most likely, and I think has caused more damage between parents and children than maybe just anything else I know of. Parental pearl pushing is a major source of alienation in families. I remember when our kids was, were born, and we were overwhelmed with the thought that we're responsible for this. We get to watch over every part of their life. When they eat, when they sleep, what they wear, where they go, who they hang out with, what they hear. And I'm going to tell you, that's a very huge weight for a parent to carry. But I think there's only one thing harder in the world than being in control of your kid's life. And do you know what it is? Not being in control of your kid's life. We live with pressure, expectations, worries, hopes, love, and ego, and all that stuff is mixed up together. And that's just the truth. I remember talking to one mom who had tried really hard to get her daughter into her top choice school so she could have a great life and her future was kind of set for her. And she told me my daughter didn't get in and I'm worried, I'm really worried about what this means for her future. And that's kind of understandable except her daughter was three years old at the time. No joke. Inflated expectations, pressure leads to pearl pushing. Sit up straight, clean your room, get your homework done. Did you get your homework done? I don't think your model nuclear reactor is quite good enough to get an A, so let me help you kind of with that. Why aren't you like so-and-so? Why can't you be this way? Why won't you do that? Why did you disappoint me? Listen, and we don't even say some of these questions out loud, Mom and Dad, but the pigs have really sensitive radar. Everybody here had parents, right? Or some kind of parental, you know, uh, influence in your life. Here's a question. How many of you really wish your parents had given you one more lecture when you were growing up? Just one more talk about this or that. Listen, our kids knew what we were going to say before we said it. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't confront your kids. I'm not saying don't set boundaries. I'm not saying don't enforce consequences when they misbehave. We've got to do that. Jesus' point here is don't force your wisdom on a non-receptive person. You cannot control another human being. They have their own little kingdom. You can't make sure that someone else turns out perfect in life. You have to let that go and make space for God because God's really the only one who can enter into that little kingdom at the deepest level. Listen, for those of us who love God, love Jesus, one of the things you want as a parent is for your kids to grow up and to love God and to love Jesus and to follow him. Not necessarily religion, but to follow Christ. And maybe there is nothing more painful or hurtful than to know that the thing that you value the most is not something that your child is really that concerned about. I talked to a guy several years ago. He actually prayed a prayer. He said, God, do not give me a child unless that child will be a lifelong Christian. This guy wanted a, a guarantee 
like a no-risk child. <laughs> I'll tell you something. I don't know if I want to be that kid. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be that guy's child. That's a great burden to carry around. Here's the thing you need to know. God makes people, and if he makes people free, and he does, even at the cost of great pain to God himself, if he does that, then we have to let go. God loves people even when they use their God-given freedom to reject God. It says he makes the sun to shine, causes the rain to fall on people who love him, and people who say, no, not today. Now, this is why, really, in any church that's going to flourish, everybody, not just parents, but everybody, has to kind of help our children get rooted in faith in God. I read recently somewhere, kind of an interesting thing, that churches have this goal, most churches have a goal of caring for kids, what they call a five-to-one ratio. In other words, they want to have one volunteer for every five children. Mainly we're talking about younger children. And that's a pretty good ratio. But people who do research on this kind of thing about faith development says that in actuality you need to flip that ratio. They say the biggest predictor of a child remaining committed to Christ when they grow up is to have a multi-generational team of people, a family, a group, five adults to one child. So if you're a parent, what you really want is like a team of adults who will enhance your child's faith. Maybe grandparents, aunts, uncles, volunteers in ministry, someone they go on a missions trip with, someone they are in a life group with, someone, a parent of one of your kid's friends. Here's a weird thing about kids and about parenting. I don't even understand this, but I found it to be true, and maybe you will too. There comes a time when your kids don't want your pearls anymore, as great as your pearls are, and they'll want somebody else's pearls. Now, this is frustrating. Do you know who Tony Dungy is? Tony Dungy was a famous Super Bowl-winning NFL coach. He coached here for Tampa Bay, still is a broadcaster. One of his sons was going to high school, and he was playing on the football team, and he was expending a lot of energy every day at practice. But all Tony Dungy's son would do uh, to eat breakfast was he would eat a Pop-Tart every morning. That's not like the greatest nutrition in the world. So Tony Dungy started telling his son about the science of nutrition, about training, how he had to have a big breakfast in the morning. Nothing. Would not respond. Now, he's getting this from an NFL Super Bowl-winning coach. And then one day, Tony comes downstairs, and his son is preparing this great breakfast. Eggs, bacon, oatmeal, fruit. And Tony was kind of proud of himself because his pearl had finally gotten through. And he couldn't resist, so he said to his son, he said, Hey, you're filling up today, buddy. You're kind of putting the fuel in the tank, right? And his son said, Yeah, my coach at school said I needed to start eating a bigger breakfast. He's got an NFL rock star dad, but the pig doesn't want the pearl. (laughs) Let me say something to parents here. If you love your child, now maybe they're all grown up now. Maybe you feel like they're far from faith and far from God and far from spiritual stuff. You need to hear what I'm going to say here. 
you still get to love them. No matter where they are or what they're doing, you still can work for and pray for their good. See, their story isn't over, and God knows their story better than you do. And I'm going to tell you something, whether you believe it or not, God loves them more than you do. And God's heart breaks over some things that your heart breaks over even more. So what you can do is you can release your kids into the hand of God. And I'll say this to you as gently as I can. You're responsible to your kids. You are not responsible for your kids. That is a burden that no person can carry. There's a story about what can happen when you stop looking with a critical eye, when you stop trying to force your wonderful pearls on other people. It's a story that was written quite a long time ago. It is fiction. I want to tell it to you, and then I'd like to tell you the story behind that story. It's a story about a fifth-grade teacher named Mrs. Thompson and a fifth-grade boy that she did not care for very much at all. His name was Teddy Stallard. Teddy did not play well with children. His clothes were always a mess. He was just unpleasant, kind of disruptive, kind of uncooperative. And it got to the point, I, don't know, we, I know we have some teachers in this room, it got to the point where she kind of took a little bit of delight in putting a red mark on his paper <laughs> so that Teddy would know he wasn't doing very well. And it kind of gave her this kind of secret, kind of little jolt of feeling good. It wasn't until halfway through the year when she was reviewing his files that she learned Teddy's story. And here's what you need to remember, friends. Everybody has a story. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote this in his file. Teddy is a bright child with a ready laugh. He's a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student, well-liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother is very ill now. Life at home must be a struggle. His third grade teacher wrote, Teddy's mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn, does not show much interest in school at all. By now, Mrs. Thompson realized the problem. She was ashamed of herself. She felt even worse when one day her students brought her Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons, bright, shiny paper, except for Teddy. Teddy brought a present, but it was quite clumsily wrapped in the heavy brown paper he got from ripping up an old grocery bag. Ms. Thompson was quite careful to open in the middle of the other presents. And some of the children started to laugh when she found an old rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a bottle that was about one quarter full of some cheap perfume. She stifled the children's laugh when she exclaimed how pretty the bracelet was putting it on and then dabbing some of the perfume on her wrist. Teddy Stowers stayed after school that day just long enough to say, Mrs. Thompson... Today you smell just like my mom did. And that bracelet looked really pretty on your wrist. After she left, or after the children left, Mrs. Thompson sat down and cried for half an hour. And on that day, she quit teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic, and she began to teach children. She paid particular attention to Teddy, and she worked with him. And as she did, she saw something good in him, and his mind seemed to come back alive. And the more she encouraged him, the more she believed in him, the faster he responded. And by the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the greatest students in her class. 
Six years later, she got a note from Teddy Stallard. He wrote that he had finished high school second in his class. Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he would soon graduate from college with highest honors. Four years passed, and eventually another letter came. This time the letter was signed Theodore F. Stallard, M.D. He told her, I've met a girl, and he told Mrs. Thompson that he was getting married, and he asked her if she would come and sit in the place where his mother would have been. She did. And she wore the old bracelet, and she wore the perfume he gave her. And when he thanked her for being the best teacher he ever had, she told him he had it all wrong. He was the one who taught her. That story was written by a woman named Elizabeth Ballard. She said it was triggered by two life events. One was a time when she'd be teaching Sunday school because she followed Jesus Christ. And in teaching one Sunday, the same Jesus that said, don't cast your pearls before swine. She was teaching about Jesus and a grubby little boy had given her a rhinestone bracelet and a bottle of cheap perfume. And it reminded her of a moment when she too was a little girl. She grew up in a family that was quite poor, had no money. So she brought her teacher a gift of pecans from a tree in their yard. And all the other students started to laugh at her. Her teacher stopped them. Her teacher saved her by saying that she was going to make a fruitcake from those pecans. It was exactly what she needed. Now, of course, she wasn't really going to make a fruitcake. Nobody makes a fruitcake. Fruitcakes just kind of happen like sinkholes and accidents. (laughs) (laughs) The reason this story has touched so many people is we forget every day. Listen, every day we choose with the eyes that we use to see people. But I want to tell you what I think on this Memorial Day weekend. I think the world is tired of Christians trying to force their pearls on people. I really don't think it's our job to try to go around day after day correcting people and fixing people and giving folks advice who are not asking for it and explaining everything that is wrong with the world and what the problem is with this group and what the problem is with that group. I think maybe it's just kind of time, gang, for followers of Jesus to come alongside people and just offer them hope and healing and humility and servanthood and generosity. I kind of think that that's how Jesus created what he called the church. And he said there will be no more divisions. He said, I am going to tear down the wall and I'm going to help those who have been separated, Jew and Gentile, slave-free, male, female. So this week, let's just kind of set it out to be our goal that we won't push any more pearls on people. No superiority, no condemning, no judging, no blaming. Now, I know that raises a question, and I was going to go into this, but I decided, you know what, it's Memorial Day weekend. We're going to go home early. If you're not supposed to relate to people with condemnation, you're not supposed to force advice on them, if you're not supposed to relate through criticism, how do you relate to people? I mean, what do you do if you're concerned about somebody or there's a problem and they want it one way, then you see it another way? Well, believe it or not, Jesus actually had a way to deal with relationships like this. It is actually the simple 
maybe the best practice for human relationships on this earth. It's amazing because it almost magically unites people. It almost always puts people on the same side. It's not only how we're supposed to relate to other people, it's really how we're supposed to relate to God. And if you want to know what it is, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, and read that verse. And then live by that verse. And if you do, then up there will come down here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. That's your homework. Today we're going to end with a congregational community prayer. Dennis Gibson's going to come and lead us in that. If you would stand with me as Dennis comes. He's going to read a portion and then he'll ask you at a certain time to read along with him. The words will be on the screen for you at that time. Let's make these more than just words. Let's make them our heart. Most precious God, we thank you for all the ways you have so richly blessed us. Help us be a blessing to others. Guide us to enrich and enhance this world you've created and to be a light for all to see. Teach us how to pray and how to let go of our material desires. Forgive us for judging others and for failing to forgive them even as you have forgiven us. Deliver us from our fears and anxieties and let us trust you to meet our every need. Give us the courage to follow your words and to obey your commandments. Lead us into your world to be a help to those who need it. Would you please join me in reading the rest of this? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Not so much to be understood as to understand. Not so much to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we awake to eternal life. Amen.